I invite you to take your Bible and open to John chapter 13, and we'll read verses 1 through 17 this morning. I, I feel hard-pressed from both directions today. Uh, of course, there's the Paul's expression having to do with heaven and earth, and uh, I'm hard-pressed having to do with Two meals. There you are, and you are fully aware, as I am, that there is a meal that awaits. In fact, I see the guys out there, they've left these doors open specifically so I can see the smoke from the grill. (laughs) So that I won't forget, that I won't be lost in... uh, in the scriptures, and we'll remember. And then all I have to do is glance to my left, and I see a castle, a bounce house. And then there's the spiritual feast that we have before us, and indeed, it is a feast. There is much to be said uh, concerning this passage and beyond, but I'm going to try to keep it... uh, as brief as possible, focusing on the specific teaching of the text. And this, this is a transition here in the book of John. In fact, what we read today takes place on Thursday, the day before Jesus would be arrested and crucified. He would be arrested, tried, and crucified on Friday. This is Thursday. And the material here in the book of John that we begin today, verse 1 in chapter 13, all the way through chapter 17, can be found no other place, not Matthew, not Mark, not Luke, only in John. So for those reasons, this is really important material. And I think once we read the text and we get into it, uh, you will see that it's, it's a narrative. It's a story. It's what happened. John records what happened that Thursday. And in that narrative, there are points of teaching that you and I would do well to receive. So let's read the text. John 13, beginning with verse 1, and we'll read all the way through verse 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, 
he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now. But you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Father in heaven, we uh, look to you for instruction. We have read your word. We've given your word a public reading. And now a public proclamation of that word. Lord, help us. God, help us to cast off distractions. Help us to focus on the text and to be edified thereby. We thank you in advance. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So there's, uh, this is interesting. You know, I look at my Bible and there's a heading in my Bible right before chapter 13. And the heading is the Lord's Supper. And that's interesting. 
that they would entitle this the Lord's Supper when John tells us, and he gives us, he does this throughout his uh, gospel. He'll give us little event, he'll give us a timeline of events. So here, now before the feast of Passover or of the Passover. So he situates what's about to happen before this feast. We believe that Jesus and his disciples are there, they're in the upper room, and they are about to enjoy the feast of Passover. You can read through this. We just read this text. You can read on. John does not give us the same uh, chronology or the same, I should say, the same event as the Lord's Supper. He's given us the Passover. To get the Lord's Supper and what Jesus said to those disciples about the bread and about the cup, you got to go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John doesn't do that. John's wanting to focus on the meaning of what is about to take place with Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection. This is the day before his death. Look at uh, verses one there and following the first portion, there are four verses. Before the feast of Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come. So that's an important phrase throughout the book of John. His hour, uh, John chapter 2, when he, Jesus talked to his mom. His mom was kind of wanting Jesus to do something about the lack of wine at the wedding in Cana. What did Jesus say? My hour. What is, what is this with you, woman, respectfully? My hour has not yet come. It's not time. But now his hour had come. And that hour has to do with the gift of his life for sinners. And so John unfolds what was going on in the mind of Christ. He would depart, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So John puts his finger on the motivating factor of all that Jesus did and of all that he accomplished. And it's nothing more and nothing less than God's eternal love. The love that Jesus had in his heart. And that love was not only communicated with words, but it was demonstrated through his actions. So love, it's the love of the father. It's the love of the son for sinners. We, we quote the verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. The world is uh, significant in John. And in these chapters, 13 through 17, we think we find the world, the word world 40 times. So it's a, it's a big deal. And it's, he tells us that no, he's going to depart from the world. He's going back to the father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. And that's significant. Everything Christ did in the way of saving sinners is born out of love for those sinners. 
Then verse 2, during supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So we have that note. The devil's at work. The devil is scheming and plotting against Christ. And he's using this imposter, this Judas. Judas will betray Jesus, but Judas is very much at this dinner, at this supper, at this Passover. If you were there and you could see the people, it would be the disciples of Jesus, including Judas. And then verse three, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. He got up from supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. So there's a couple things that are really wrong in the situation. Here they are gathered for a meal. It's a significant meal. It's a religious holiday. It's a festive time. And you have Jesus and you have his disciples and they're around these uh, very short tables and the people would recline. They wouldn't necessarily sit in chairs. They would lean against the table and their feet would be, you know, the body would be going away from the table. And the problem here is that all of these guys are gathered to eat, yet no one has washed their feet. That's unheard of. Every home had a basin where the one entering would be able to clean his feet. You clean your feet. In that day, in that culture, you're on foot, probably most of the time, you're walking dusty, dirty streets. You're, uh, you perhaps would be walking behind a donkey or behind a lamb or behind a goat. You've got all things going on in that street. So washing the feet is a big deal. And the fact that they have all gathered and they're in the midst of supper and no one has bothered to wash feet. Now, in that day, um, well, the foot washer, (laughs) that's not a very uh, prized job. In fact, they would even... You know, maybe a Gentile foot washer, but anyone else just wash, wash your own. But they evidently not washed their feet. And Jesus did what was unthinkable in their minds. He got up from supper. There it is. Verse four. This is, uh, this is dramatic. He gets up. He lays aside his garments. So at this point, he looks more like a slave than he looks like the Messiah or the son of God. And taking a towel, he girded himself. And that is that is a picture of our Lord Jesus. And if you if you think about it, you read verse two and there's the. The statement that the devil has already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. If Jesus gets up, I mean, what I would, I would perhaps think more 
fire and smoke, then he's about to look like a slave and wash feet. And then his disciples certainly don't understand what's going on. Jesus says, you'll get it later. That's not uncommon. His disciples were forevermore missing the point. But Jesus loved them. That's what he says. He loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. And so there he is. What's he going to do? He's Verse 5, he's pouring water into the basin. This is not a job for the disciples in their minds. This is not a job, certainly not a job for Jesus. He pours the water into basin. He begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. All right, it's time for a point. I do have some notes. And I'm going to give a point here. First of all, we want to notice the close relationship of this foot washing to the cross. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his work on the cross. And this is a living, acted out parable in full view of his disciples suggesting that what Jesus is about to do and what he will do on the cross are very closely connected. And and we want to make that connection. What is the connection? Here it is. It was true for them in their day, and it's true for us now. You need to be clean. You need to be clean. And Jesus is the one who brings the cleansing. I think it's, it's obvious, but we'll state this. And that is that there is the necessity for you and I, for every man, woman, child to be clean, to be forgiven of their sin. I'm reminded of um, Isaiah chapter one. I like, uh, I like what Isaiah said way back in the day. He says this. He says, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. And then he makes this Statement, this invitation, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It is impossible for you and I as sinners to bring cleansing to ourselves. That's an impossibility. We can't clean ourselves up spiritually. That cleansing has to come through Jesus. That's what we read here in John 13. That's what we'll read later on when Jesus goes to the cross. Man needs 
cleansed from sin and Jesus is the only avenue for that cleansing. Only the shed blood of Jesus can cleanse you and I and any sinner from sin. We may try to cleanse ourselves. We may try to clean up, but we will always fall short. Uh, We will never be able to make ourselves worthy of heaven. We simply have to receive God's grace. And we are dependent on Jesus for this cleansing. As we read on, it's very interesting because Jesus is intent on cleansing these disciples, their feet. The Bible says he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Uh, the literal is, is even uh, more adversative. You, my feet, wash. Peter couldn't comprehend this. This is not right in his eyes. And he goes on to say, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus even tells him, you don't, you don't get it now, Peter, but you will understand later. And then Jesus tells Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That phrase is used often of of heaven or of a heavenly inheritance, a part, having a part in someone. And Jesus says, if you don't submit, if you don't allow me to do for you what you can never do for yourself... You have no part. There is no fellowship. There is no promise of heaven. You are on your own. So very dramatic there in the conversation, the words exchanged there between Jesus and Peter. So there's a necessity to be clean. And the only way to be clean is through Jesus who humbled himself as a servant, as a slave, and did the unthinkable. Hey, listen, if these disciples thought that Jesus taking on the form of a slave here at this Passover meal was striking and astonishing and unbelieving, what would they think when they see him on the cross? It's, a, it's the same thing. It's we have a king who died for his subjects. He didn't come to be pampered. In fact, he says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So we see salvation here in the washing of the disciples' feet. I trust this morning that you realize You realized at some point in your journey, the need for spiritual cleansing, that our sins have stained our souls and that the only way to be free of that sin stained life is to trust Jesus and Jesus offers us spiritual life, eternal life 
But we have to accept, we have to receive what he did for us on the cross. And then Jesus says, uh, well, we don't want to miss this. Simon Peter in verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. How would you like to work with someone like Simon Peter? One minute, don't wash my feet. The next minute, wash my whole body. What's interesting here is sometimes you think, well, that's a moment of enlightenment for Peter. But the fact is, Peter has rejected God's will. Don't wash my feet when Jesus wanted to wash his feet. And then he, and then he goes beyond what Jesus said he would do by saying, oh, then wash my head and my hands. Well, you know, that's kind of like human beings, right? That's, that's what Jesus said about John the Baptist's ministry and his ministry. He said, John the Baptist came and, you know, he, you couldn't make him smile. But Jesus came smiling. Jesus came offering grace. Jesus came to, uh, to speak to sinners and to offer them eternal life. But what? No one could be pleased. No one would be pleased. You know why? Because as human beings, we want it our way, even in spiritual things. We want it our way. Don't wash my feet, wash my whole body. Why can't we just take what God offers? Because I'm telling you today that what he offers is good enough. What he offers in the gift of his son and the blood shed on the cross by Jesus Christ is effective for our salvation. But here we go. We're just, uh, wow, we're all over the map. Read the Bible. And receive what God wants to give. I love this. Jesus said to him, he was bathed. So there's another word there. And John's good about using words that are synonymous or close to the same meaning. We have wash. We have bathe. Wash means wash and bathe means bathed. We have the idea there of of the whole body. Jesus really is going along with John here. He says he who's bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And then he says this to Peter, isn't this good? And you are clean. What a pronouncement. And then he says, but not all of you, because he was aware of what Judas was conspiring to do. So the second point, we need to notice not only that we need to be clean and that Jesus offers the cleansing, but we need to notice the once for all nature of Christ's cleansing for salvation. It's a once for all. Jesus says it. He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. You don't need to, you, you have this once for all cleansing from Jesus. You've received that. All you need now is an occasional foot washing. And he, and he provides for those subsequent sins. Now, we're talking salvation. We're bathed. We're washed. We're made new. We're forgiven with regard to salvation. He forgives us our sin. He casts them 
as far as the east is from the west to remember them no more. When we come to Jesus in repentance and faith, he forgives us. He seals us by his spirit. All the promises of God are true to us, are good for us through the blood of Jesus. But what about subsequent sin? Well, the subsequent sin, the occasional, oh, our feet are, our feet are dirty. Because, why are they dirty? Why aren't we saved and we never sin again? It's obvious we're in this sin, sick, sin burdened world. And we're going to, we're going to walk in this world. And when we walk in this world, we sin, we stray. But Jesus has taken care of those subsequent sins in our lives. And this not has, doesn't have to do so much with salvation as it does with fellowship. Fellowship with Jesus. John wrote it in his first letter in chapter 1 and verse 9. And he's writing to believers. He's writing to believers here. We'll just read it there, beginning of verse 5, and we'll read on down, because it's good and it's helpful. What do we do about those sins? The sins that happen because we walk in this world, that we haven't been glorified yet. We have not been perfected yet. We are growing in Christ-likeness. He says, this is a message which you have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, and he's, he's talking as a believer, John, the revelator, John, the believer. If we say, and he's talking about his fellow brothers and sisters, his, his Christian friends. If we say that we have fellowship with them and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's talking to people who have received the cleansing. They have been born again. They are saved. They've been forgiven. They are freed from the sin and the guilt of sin and the consequences of sin. But yet they're still living in this world. And John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But he takes care of those subsequent sins, those random thoughts, those Sins of apathy, indifference. He takes care of those when we confess them to him. Point number three. Is, let me start at one. Why be clean? The necessity of being clean. Jesus is the cleanser. The once for all nature of Christ's cleansing for salvation is point two. Point three, what about subsequent sins? And we've talked about that from 1 John 1, 9. 
And then the last point is what, a, what, is our, what is our life, what does it look like now as a believer? This is really good. We usually, as people, we say amen to the salvation part. And we nod off to sleep at the responsibility part to serve. It's easy to do. We call them the hard sayings, the salvation and the heaven, heaven and salvation and the glory of God and all that he's done for us. That's, that's easy. He does it. But then he calls us to respond and he calls us to commitment. It just, it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, if you're going to, if you're, if you walk, I mean, do I have a favorite leg? To walk on? No. I've learned, I guess intuitively, I need both to walk. But when it comes to scripture, sometimes we'll take the salvation part, but we won't take the application part or the hard sayings of Jesus. And it takes both to walk. And I want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you, instead of being an either or Christian When you come to things like this, be a both and because it's both true. It's all true. I've come up to people. Hey, listen, I've heard it a lot. Folks will come up to me and say, it's all about Jesus being our savior. And it is first and foremost. That's number one. It's about, it's about repenting and believing in Jesus for salvation and receiving the forgiveness of sin. But they don't want to hear about Jesus being our example for life. Oh. Would Jesus, would he, would he instruct us how to live having been saved? Having said, I want to follow you, Jesus. Do you think he would have the right to tell us how that looks? He does. He did it not long ago. We were talking about the grain of, he said, the grain of Wheat falls to the ground and dies. And if it dies, it bears much fruit. Okay, hallelujah, bears much fruit. A lot of people get saved. But then he goes on. He says, if, if you're going to follow me, you're going to serve me. You've relinquished your rights. So what does he say here? It's really good. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. He says, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet. Here it is. You also ought to wash one another's feet. What? Stoop? Serve? That's what he says. For I, here it is. For I gave you an example. There it is. That you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master. Nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if, if you do them. Wow. So he would, he would say, I'm responsible for, I've received salvation. I'm following him. I am to be a servant. I am to, I am to serve God by serving others. And this is. This is the mark of true love. 
And it brings you full circle. Here's how you do it. Listen, say, well, how in the world could he expect me to do that? When you have the same knowledge that he had. And for that, see verses one through four. Listen, you can serve anybody. Uh, What's that? There's a show about dirty jobs. Right? You can do any dirty job. You can serve anybody when you know, number one, where you came from, that you've been born again. That's what we're talking about. And number two, you know where you're going. Because that, that's what he said about Jesus. He said he knew he was not long for this world. He loved. And it says he knew that the father had given all things into his hands. And that what? He had come forth from God and was going back to God. And he got up from supper. You got to have that spiritual knowledge of who God wants you to be. You got a sense that he is Sovereign over your life and the time you have on this planet and knowing where you came from and knowing where you're going, you can handle any dirty job. Let me ask you something. When's the last time you were inconvenienced for the Lord's sake? When's the last time it wasn't about your schedule and it wasn't about you and about your agenda and when God put something right in front of you and you had a choice to make, when was the last time you said, Lord, I'll do this. I'll put my agenda aside. I'll put my comfort aside. I'll put my convenience aside and I will serve you and handle this dirty job. I'm just asking Because I'm going to tell you here today, that is real Christianity. And I'd rather reflect what's in the scriptures than this uh, Western mindset many times. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, sometimes it stings a little. But we need to hear your word. And we need to act on it. So, Lord, help us. We just pray that you'll continue to bless our day together. Lord, there's a good meal waiting on us. And we we do ask a blessing on the food. And just give us a good time in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And we'll sing now.